0: Welcome to the Madrigus Midwest podcast, Mental Health Matters, where we discuss mental health matters because we know that mental health matters. Welcome back to the next episode of Mental Health Matters with Madrigus Midwest. I'm Michael Bressler, Assistant Director of School Programming here at Madrigos Midwest. And co-hosting is Shuli Tzadok, the current clinical director. Our esteemed guest for this episode is Sippy, Mrs. Tippi Cohn, the previous interim clinical director, who I was fortunate to have as my supervisor once when I came to Chicago. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: It's great being here with you. So glad to be back with Madrigos.
2: We're so happy to have you back. Um, So we know that you were our interim clinical director last year, but do you want to start by telling our listeners a little bit more about your professional background and what it is that you're doing right now?
1: Sure. So initially I began with another passion of mine, which is teaching, and I was working for over a decade as a high school teacher and guidance counselor, and as issues came up... I developed a really great thirst and curiosity for having a better understanding of the various mental health struggles and relationship dynamics that were brought before me, and so I went back to graduate school. And about a decade ago, I became a an LCPC, a licensed clinical professional counselor. Subsequently, I worked in several I uh, interned and then worked in several organizations and schools in the community several years ago I opened my own private practice and that's what kind of brought me here today.
0: Amazing so in your private practice um, I believe that from from your time with Drago some, some of your expertise is in OCD obsessive compulsive disorder is that what you primarily work with in your private practice?
1: So I wouldn't say it's a primary focus, but I would say that it's a definite chunk of what I do. Um, I I can't really put my finger on how the fascination developed, but I did have several clients with OCD type anxiety, and I, I started to read everything I can get my hands on. Um, just to understand the specific nuances and presentation of OCD. And what I found was that there was um, this treatment that seemed to be the premier front runner for how to treat OCD called exposure response prevention therapy, which originated from Edna Foa, incidentally, a Jewish-Israeli. about I think it was about 40 to 50 years ago and um, I decided that I really wanted to get some training in this. I then went to Philadelphia to the Center for Treatment and Study of Anxiety where Edna Fo and Elna Yadin run a training program and I spent about a week training under them in how to treating OCD all different kind of presentations of it and uh, different levels of severity and so it's it's like a a chunk of the pie of what I treat is OCD in fact I really primarily only work with like teens and adults but I I will make an exception for children with OCD just because this, this there's such a specific treatment for it and children respond so well that I will, I will take on children with OCD and go ahead and do the exposure response prevention therapy with them.
2: So can we just backtrack for a minute? Can you tell our listeners what are some signs of OCD? I feel like OCD is a word that gets thrown around a lot. It's not always used clinically, but can you tell us what are some real signs of OCD in kids and also maybe in adults? Maybe we could cover both of those.
1: Sure. Uh, So OCD is a specific presentation of anxiety. In fact, it it didn't used to be separate from anxiety in the earlier manuals of the DSM. Uh, More recently, because of its very specific presentation, it, it became its own disorder. OCD is characterized by a series of um, obsessive thoughts that an individual might have, which they then try to neutralize with compulsions. They experience temporary relief, but ultimately a strengthening of the compu- of the obsession, of the original obsession. And then the loop continues. So that's really like kind of how we explain OCD it's an anxiety that is kind of has this looping pattern where there's obsessions, compulsions aimed to neutralize the obsession and then stronger obsessions, and then more compulsions, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Fascinating, thank you. So practically speaking, I guess, from let's say a parent's perspective or even one looking at themselves, what, meaning I, I, th- I feel like classically when people think of OCD, they think of cleanliness, right? Or, or the example of, of people washing their hands. So kind of when someone is repeating a, a behavior without an explained reason, that's kind of what it looks like, practically speaking.
1: So it's a good question. You know, it, it has a very specific presentation, but people who are not experts in it may not necessarily be able to pinpoint it. So like in any other struggle, I would say to talk it over with somebody and a mental health professional will kind of help make the differential diagnosis between general anxiety and OCD. Um, it, it's it's not always super clear to somebody who's not very familiar with OCD. Um, it is critical. Let me explain to make that differential diagnosis because the treatment would be very different. So, for example, if there was general anxiety, um, a client would, should, and would experience relief from traditional CBT strategies like reassurance and kind of like, um, you know, reframing and mantras and deep breathing and other mindful strategies. When it's OCD, what typically happens is that those, those um, techniques will only further intensify the obsessions. So I'll give you a very specific example. What if, if somebody experienced an obsession, an obsessive thought that there was going to be, God forbid, a school shooter? so it with a general anxiety it would help to kind of take a look at how many schools there are in the country how many students go to school what the prevalence of actual school shootings are how many people actually get harmed by it and when they see that the likelihood of being harmed by such an incident is like so Low, kind of, I don't know, maybe by being struck by lightning or maybe even less, right? That usually calms them down. But if somebody has OCD, that's not going to help at all. In fact, it will seem to get worse. And they'll seem to need to check those facts even more and argue those facts and discredit those facts, etc, etc. So in terms of how it will present, there are the typical domains, uh, like germs, which will often manifest with a compulsion of hand washing, or safety obsessions, which will manifest in checking, checking windows and doors, or scrupulosity, which will manifest in checking with the rabbi or praying. Um, those are kind of typical domains. There's also some that are a little bit harder to kind of notice, which is like um, kind of a feeling of having things just right. And that will result in the compulsion of like symmetry, ordering, needing to do things equally. Uh, so, you know, an OCD therapist will kind of identify whether or not that pattern is a the figure what domain it's in. Based on that, they'll go ahead and design the treatment and, um, you know, figure out how to, how to address it.
2: Oh. Do you think there are certain things that people can do if they have somebody who lives with them who does have OCD? Are there ways that they can be more supportive?
1: So that's a good question. I I do. I definitely think so. I, I worry about that happening without professional guidance.
2: Right, right, right.
1: Because finding that balance is tricky. And it's important that that balance be in tandem with the level of treatment that the client's receiving. So yeah, it's super important for the environment around the you know, the individual struggling with OCD, that it be supportive but not enabling. How to find that magic medium is, you know, takes guidance and, and professional insight. Right.
2: Right. The example that you gave before, where somebody might jump to, you know, giving them proofs, you know, there are no school shootings in Chicago in this general area. This hasn't happened in X amount of years. I think that is what most people would Quickly jump to in order to help somebody feel better. But I hear what you're saying where that might actually then make things worse.
1: Yeah, and it's natural for people to do that, truly, because sure. the truth is general anxiety affects one in four people over a lifetime. OCD has a prevalence of about three and a half percent, although that number isn't necessarily like clear because what happens is a lot of people are able to kind of hide or compensate for their OCD. And so some people manage to just cover up for their uh, compulsive behavior and it can go unnoticed. But still, we kind of see the difference. So it's natural for parents to respond or partners to respond the way that you're describing. It's natural and it's reasonable. When that doesn't work is usually when people say, "Uh uh-oh, I think we need to get some help here.
0: Right, right. So I'm, I'm curious now in particular, have you noticed during this whole time period of COVID, and hopefully by the time listeners are listening to this, it'll already be in the past, but for now while we're recording, we are recording during, uh, during COVID. Have you noticed a, this segment of the popul- population struggling with OCD? Have you noticed one way or another how COVID has impacted them?
1: You know, it's interesting. Initially, many of my clients with like germ obsessions were actually doing much better. Um, they're kind of happy. Everybody's masked and gloved and standing apart and washing their hands. Like, this is like, it's an OCD haven. So <laughs> I found that, like, I was like, oh no, what's going to be after this when we're supposed to unmask? That's the <laughs> But a lot of my clients with OCD aren't necessarily terrified of getting COVID. Some of them have more specific uh, health Fears, But the idea that everybody's like being cautious is very like kind of soothing for them.
0: So interesting.
1: So I'm not sure what's going to happen when we're, you know, when if and when we let down these standards. On the other hand, if somebody else, you know, if people's fear was about safety, they, you know, a lot of them are also also felt initial relief moms and dads working from home lots of school from home it's it's been actually interesting wow uh-huh.
0: that will be interesting to see afterwards you know how everyone yeah. adjusts back to the, new yeah. the old normal whatever normal it is but uh, yeah
1: so i can't say i would just say that not everybody with ocd is struggling more because of covid just yet Of course, some are, but some are doing better and we'll have to see.
2: It's gonna be an interesting adjustment back. It really will.
1: And I think that's gonna be true for the general population as well.
2: For sure, for sure. Um, We're curious a little bit about how you feel like OCD plays out in the from community specifically. Do you see a lot of OCD tendencies around, you know, different mitzvahs that we have?
1: So that's a great question. Um, Let me be really clear about something. Research and studies are very clear about the idea that religion does not cause OCD. However, OCD does tend to express itself in religious beliefs, traditions, and practices. So basically, and that's a, that's a shift from the way, you know, the, the psychology world thought, say, half a century ago. Um, so for example, you know, if somebody has a predisposition to OCD, it will look for something to latch on to. And if the client is religious and religion matters a lot to them, then the OCD will have a field day kind of with the religion. So it, it's, not, it's not really like why OCD happens. It's more like where OCD happens. Mm-hmm. And so we do see it a lot among religious people. And that's not only Orthodox Jewish, but it's more about the OCD picking on what's important to the person.
0: Got it. So it's not, it's not like an orthodox person is more likely to have it than an unorthodox person. It's just that an orthodox person who does struggle with OCD, likely the focus will be around the OCD related to religion.
1: Yeah. And I don't even know if I would say it's likely to focus on religion, but I would say, like what you said is true. I would say that there's not a higher prevalence of OCD among religious people there may be a higher prevalence of the specific scrupulosity form of OCD among religious people.
0: Makes sense. Makes sense. So on that note, is there, you know, obviously, if, if it's not the religion or the mitzvahs or anything that's causing the OCD, as we said, um, but as a community, clearly it is like in any community, it is, it is prevalent and whatever the numbers are, 3.5% is, is, is a solid chunk of people. So, uh, so what as a community can we do to help support, whether it's in the way we teach or different types of support that we can uh, facilitate success for those who are struggling in this area?
1: there you know there are so many things i want to say in answer to your question <laughs> but i i think what i will say is that we can understand ocd better we can kind of recognize what it is and we can help people get the treatment that they need That that's really the most important thing and as parents, teachers, and community leaders, it's important that we recognize it, that we don't get frightened or upset by it. And that we say, hey, you know, I think that there's something going on that's not perfectly healthy and that can be can be feeling much better.
0: So on that, have, have you noticed a change over time you know during your during your professional career within the Orthodox community at how I guess on top of it we are, how how have we improved in being able to recognize it and has the stigma decreased in terms of being able to get the help necessary? Have you noticed any shifts in that?
1: I like to think it has. I like to think it has. Um Uh, Yeah, I I think that, you know, part of the stigma, reluctance, resistance by the Orthodox community around professional help is not unfounded. You know, there there were trends several decades back that were anti-religious and they did see religion as a contributor to pathology and to abnormal psychology. And so there's cause for the contention. It's not unfounded. However, the, the, the world of, you know, psychology, psychiatry, uh, counseling, emotional support has really shifted to be much more skill-based, solution-focused, outcome-oriented, much less judgmental, and more importantly has begun to see religion as a protective factor for people. It's begun to really recognize that religious practices, religious beliefs, and religious values are a supportive and um, it's actually a lifeline for many people. And so, you know, the religious world has come to respect people's religious practices. And I I see that a lot. And so I'm hoping that that's going to continue to diminish the reluctance to seek out professional help. You know, oftentimes I have professionals from some of the treatment centers, both in and around Chicago and from further away, reach out to me when they have OCD clients as a point person with their questions around religion in terms of helping them design exposures. And I really consistently hear respect, respect for the religious practices and wanting to go ahead and work with it. Um, so, So I'm excited about that. And I think that'll help people who need to get help with OCD trust that they will be respected for their religion and they will not be pulled away from it, God forbid at all.
2: You know, I'm curious while you were talking, what does successful treatment look like? How long is somebody in treatment for OCD? Can they ever reach a place where it's really not impacting their life anymore?
1: So that's a great question. A little bit about the treatment, exposure response prevention therapy, is designed to be a treatment that has a beginning and it has an end. It's it's not meant to be, you know, a, a lifelong kind of support. In terms of the duration of treatment, this is like a rough kind of number, but I would say that a client should see good progress somewhere along 10 to 12 sessions in, depending on the severity and the comorbidity of other disorders, the duration can be anywhere between a couple of months or longer if we're dealing with other com- complexities or complications. But actual OCD treatment for actual OCD is meant to kind of have a start, a middle, and an end. It's, it's just hard to pin an exact number because every individual is coming with, like, you know, their own kind of history and their own set of circumstances. The treatment really is very exposure-based, like it sounds. And so it kind of is about creating new neural pathways and helping the client, um, the client's mind make new connections. People with OCD, and in fact, people with anxiety in general, tend to be very avoidant of distress or things that will cause distress, which is okay if what's gonna cause you distress is leopards. You can live your whole life avoiding leopards. But if what's gonna cause one distress is needing to repeatedly check their front door all night long and they won't be able to sleep and that's gonna impair their functioning, that is something that must be treated. And so the treatment is about exposure to uh, to the feared outcome and helping the brain realize that it can realign itself without engaging in the compulsion. And so it's like an organized kind of set of exercises, much like physical therapy would be for somebody that needs to rehabilitate. And so it retrains the mind. It's fascinating, actually. You can see the results on CAT scans. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, somebody with OCD is gonna have very lit up area in the like amygdala and kind of back near the base of the brain. And we can see that diminish with behavioral treatment.
2: As they learn to tolerate the discomfort.
1: Yes.
0: Yes. Very fascinating. Really so cool. Um, We know we only have a a couple minutes left and we want to respect the time here. So, We'll throw out the uh, final question that we always like to close with with our guests, and it's it's always fun to see the reactions. So, uh, so or, or to hear the reactions. <laughs> what what is one message? If there's one message that you could leave our listeners with, what would it be?
1: Just one message. Okay, the one message I want to leave our listeners with is that individuals struggling with OCD can have rich, full and meaningful lives. In fact, people with OCD tend to be great accomplishers, innovative, creative, um, efficient, and very driven. So I I wanna put it out there that some of the greatest inventors, successful businessmen, the biggest rabbunim, rabbitsons, therapists, uh, you name it, struggle with OCD. And OCD is an interesting disorder. And maybe that's, you know, to come full circle, why I really got so fascinated with it to begin with. When managed properly, it's very motivational. <laughs> and it, it leads to some great outcomes, some great insight and some great outcomes. So I want people with OCD out there to believe that there is help. The help works and they can do a great deal and live well, live happily and live pleasantly, have great relationships and do amazing things.
0: I love that idea. And I think that's so much of, I mean, that's so true with OCD, obviously, and when people you know, deal with it and, and, and get the help appropriate. But I think one thing that we're trying to accomplish with this podcast, and that we see at Madrigos, and that I'm sure you uh, you see in your practice as well, is that that's not only limited to OCD either. You know that people with whatever challenge it is in their mental health, it's not. It's just a part of who we are, and it's and it's something which is very enabling, and something which it does not have to mean that one's life has to be drastically uh, changed, right? It's something that people can thrive with and can live very positively and happy, fulfilling lives with OCD and with any, with any you know, mental health challenge that uh, one experiences, just like with any physical challenge that one experiences. So uh, we're so grateful for that. And we're so, so grateful for your time.
1: Very true. And thank you so much for having me. It was great to be here. A lot of continued success in everything Madrigos is doing.
0: Thank you so much. Always good to see you back in the Madrigos uh, setting.
1: (laughs) Yes. Thanks. Great to be here. Be well. Be well.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Mental Health Matters. To learn more about Madrigos Midwest, visit us at madrigosmidwest.org. Please join us next time as we discuss another mental health matter.